This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com graduation is a sweet occasion but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle mms.com has a solution personalized m&ms just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors name and even their photo printed right on some m&ms it's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Vail, Colorado and the Sonanop Hotel. The beautiful thing about Vail, population, are you ready? 5,483 people. We're only 100 miles west of Denver, about a two-hour drive. You can fly here as well, but I really enjoy the drive, except when I-70 is closed, but that's another issue. Uh, That usually happens in the winter. But during the summer months, what a great drive. And so many different things you can do through through the Rocky Mountains. And so many different things you can do, even if you don't ski, which is why I love to come here in the summer. Because if truth be told, I I love to ride the ski lifts. but I'm not a skier. But I certainly love this location, especially in the summer months. This particular hotel, by the way, family-owned and run. You don't see that very often these days. Nice when it does. And they've been running, doing it as a great job with only 112 rooms. And you're right on the river, on either Gore Creek or, or looking out at, at Vail Village. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. My next guest, like so many people here, ain't from here. Uh, he's a uh, he's a New Yorker. Uh, came here. Peter, let me clarify that Western New York, actually. You think that's going to get you off the hook? <laughs> By the way, that's Dave Chapin. He's the mayor of Vale, and a, a number of other things you do as well, like run a pizza joint. Well, yeah, I, I uh, I'm a partner in a restaurant uh, called Vendetta's. We've been on Bridge Street, the main part of Vale, as you know, and this will be our 36th winter coming up. It's a lot of pizza. And, well, winter and summer. Well, we actually didn't start the pizza till '94. We were in. Ital- oh, excuse me. Yeah, okay. we were a northern Italian restaurant before that. We're kind of the gathering place for the ski patrol. You know, longtime local standing bar there. So, uh, very proud to be a part of that. What brought you here to begin with? You know, I I was a skier as a kid, and I always in Western New York. Yeah, in Western New York, a couple of little skiers called Holly Valley and Kissing Bridge. People may know them. Uh, ones in Ellicottville. Some call it the Aspen of the East. Um, but I was always interested in skiing and I knew, um, when I got out of, uh, college that I wanted to be somewhere between Utah, Wyoming and Colorado. And I I had an opportunity here. I walked right into a job and a place to live. So it was a pretty good fit. And so you came here as a skier, came here as a skier. Yeah, man, that was it. And I wanted to get into the, uh, resort hospitality business, uh, which I did. I have a degree in that and, uh, it just was a perfect fit and I, Count my blessings every day. Everything just right place, right time. You know? so, so you've been here for what? Th- almost 40 years? Yeah, almost 40 years now. Yeah, close. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they haven't found out. <laughs> what what well, you're telling me is that the witness relocation program is working. It's worked pretty well for me, Peter, I got to tell you. Had to color my hair differently, but that happens naturally, doesn't it? <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> so I, know, I know what brought you here, right? Mm-hmm. What keeps you here? The lifestyle, the people. Um, really, that's what it is. You know, we, we're able to enjoy an outdoors lifestyle here. There's opportunity, there's business opportunity, but more than anything, the people, the passion of the community. You know, it's it's very unique here. Uh, people in Vail are passionate about their outdoor lifestyle. They're passionate about the environment, and it's it's just a good fit for, for me. And you came here really at the start of it all, Well, more or less. I You know, I've... I've been here two-thirds of the time. Vale's been around probably. So, um, yeah, near the start of it. But, yeah, but um, you came here at the beginning of the big growth. Yeah, I think some of the people that were here in 1962 would tell you that the big growth has probably started happening the day after they got here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I did get here at a good time, no question. And why are you mayor? Uh, because, you- I lo- because I love the town of Vail and I love being involved. And uh, my fellow council members decided the mayor here it's it's an appointed position from the council um so you get elected to the town council and then the town council appoints so the you mayor. first ran for council i first ran for council that's right i was elected to a four-year term in the first election and we have an election every two years and after the uh my first two years uh that's when i first became mayor so i'm into my fourth and fourth year right now so they haven't found out no, again, they haven't found out. And if you keep saying this, you know, they might catch on to this. I could be in trouble. No. <laughs> but let's let's get down to the, to the nitty-gritty here. Sure. I mean, you do have challenges here. You have environmental challenges. You have growth challenges. You have housing challenges. I mean, you have things that you've got to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Otherwise, Vail's not going to be Vail much longer. This is true. Um, you know, protecting our quality of life is very important to us all. At the same time, having to maintain a business environment. 
We are a resort town. 40% of our revenue comes from sales tax. So, you know, very important for us to be a leader in tourism. And I think we've done a great job with that. You know, we're highly recognized throughout the international community uh, for many reasons. And it's just a great summer and winter getaway. You say, Val, most people, well, a lot of people think skiing, of course. Well, you did. That's why you came. Yeah, that's why I came. But uh, our summer business is just every year getting better and better and better, and even more year-round business. You know, we're trying to fill in those those uh, slow times and what we call our off seasons, which are the you know fall and spring, like many resort areas. So, yeah, it's. I mean, look, there are so many uh, resort destinations around the world that live and die by the numbers. You know, what's the average visitor visitor stay? What's the average visitor spend? How many? You know, where they're going to spend the money? And you have to deal with all those numbers. But at the same time, if you get obsessed with those numbers. You're not going to be able to deliver the experience. Well, that, that's a great that's a great point. Um, always remember that you know numbers are numbers, no question. But at the, at the end of the day, it's that people come here and have a great experience. That's what it's about. It really is. So you know we need to ensure that for our guests. But at the same time, you have to manage growth. We have to manage growth. You know we're a li- little limited. Our our particular town of Vale is only about ten miles long, and as you've seen since you've been here, it's not very wide. Fifty five hundred people live here full time. Okay, clearly we have a number of second homeowners. Right. Our valley as a whole is is slowly approaching 50,000. Now that encompasses going down to Gypsum basically, which is about 30 35 miles from here and a lot of our workforce lives down there, a lot of uh, families down there. So, but the actual town of Vale is Westvale to Eastvale, cordoned off by what we call Dow Junction. So we're about 10 miles long, Peter. And of course, airlift is very key to your community. Uh, the airport here has runways long enough to take a 7.3 and a 7.5. Yes, indeed. Um, and actually, there's been an expansion out at the airport as far as gate access and things like that. It used to be when you flew in here, you got off the plane and you had to walk across the runway. And as you know, sometimes we get a little bit of weather. So we put in jetways. Um, oh, no, not jetways. Yeah, yeah, I know. Everybody's like, whoa, See, you know, Now on. you can't film the final scene from Casablanca uh. there anymore. <laughs> Um, no, but it's it's awesome having the airport there. It's something we're striving to get a little bit even better service than we currently have. So it's nice to be able to fly in and you're half an hour away. But so much of your service is still seasonal, isn't it? It is seasonal. Um, we do have year-round right now on United. Um, some of the other airlines are pretty good. We're, we're trying to get, hopefully with this new airport expansion, we'll be able to get some new routes coming in here. So it's a nice option to have. But you don't want to be too big. Well, yeah, growth is always a big issue around here. You know, people people want to protect the environment. They want to protect the open spaces that we have. So it it is a it's a carefully thought out process, and um, it's a battle. Um, it can be, yes, it can be, but not always. I mean, people around here understand. You know, we need tourism. Right, but it's, but at the same time, if you don't deal well, with it, yeah, we're we're we've been dealing with some over tourism issues down in Glenwood Springs. There's a real popular trail that they basically used to be able to just drive up there and go hiking. Now there's a lottery system for it, and we actually have a trail in Vale that's uh, approaching that type of status. So over tourism is something. I mean, when you deal with a situation like they want to put turnstiles in in St. Mark's Square in Venice, you got a problem. Yeah, you've got a problem. And, uh, boy, I hope we never have to get to that level. Venice is clearly much, much larger than we are. But um, I just, you know, over-tourism is a concern. It's really how you manage it. How do you move the people around? How do you eliminate them bringing cars? How do you make it easier for the guest, really? And how do you eliminate them from bringing cars? Well, we have some great public transport here. You know, we've got bus systems that are uh, phenomenal, free in the town of Vail. We have a free town of Vail bus here. We've got great shuttle services coming from both Denver and the Eagle Airport. Um, We don't have a train or or so-called rapid transit system, but uh, we have some pretty good options for you between all the private van companies and everything else that can get you. I I often say that to people. You know, you don't need a car in Vail. Come here, leave your car at home. It's kind of nice to walk everywhere you go. And, you know, not having a car, it's a nice, it's a great thing not to have. It's part of your vacation not having a car. When was the last time you used your car? Uh, This morning, driving into town. (laughs) (laughs) So you're busted. (laughs) Yeah, I'm busted. No, I am. But I do take the bus uh, as much as I can, you know. Hey, and you guys uh, finally banned some plastics, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, Well, we banned plastic bags. It was kind of a... uh, I thought a no-brainer for us. Um, It was pretty unanimous throughout our council and throughout our town. And uh, we made a statement about that. And we we have to, you know, our environment is what drives us here. People come here for the environment. They come here for the outdoors. 
And for us not to be protective of that would just be a huge mistake. Here's the big challenge for me in Colorado because everybody has to be hydrated. You got everybody's walking around with bo- with bo- with water bottles. Right. You didn't ban plastic bottles. No, we didn't. Um, but we do actively try to campaign to tell people, you know, just reuse that bottle you have. Buy that one water bottle that you can buy anywhere and use it, use it, use it. Don't always go buy a new one. Um, we're conscious of that. Our, our big our big thing here, Peter. You know. Recycling is another thing that we uh, we put down as a mandatory thing for residents here, and that's been well-received. Most people are probably doing it anyways, but this is just a little bit more of an incentive to say, hey, this is important, and we're going to make this a priority for the town. Single-use plastic? Uh, we're not there yet. You mean? Straws? Yeah, that we leave that up to individuals. I can tell you my business, we eliminated straws, um, and that came really at the behest of our staff. Um you know, I don't think the consumer, you know, occasionally you get somebody who says, oh, I need a straw. But now the big thing is people are bringing their own straws. It's kind of like a cool thing. You know, they like BYOS. Yeah, BYOS. And I can see people that pull their straw out of their pocket and they're so proud to show the people they may be with. They're like, here's my new custom straw. So it's, it's, pretty I don't neat. have a question. How old is that straw? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's that person's only. So that's okay. You know, and they, they, they make them now and, uh, metal fat you know metal and you can you can wash them and sterilize and bamboo them. yeah and bamboo so it's I, I don't think it's too big a deal most people are adjusting to it pretty easily yeah all right so, so then your do. your other big challenge of course is housing housing wow housing is a challenge in most resort communities throughout the western united states i'm not familiar with the east coast as much but um housing's always been an issue here it's been an issue here since 1962 we've we've uh, got involved in some Pretty uh, groundbreaking efforts um, as far as financing to help people. We're so. not in Kansas anymore. When you look at the history of this community, it's it doesn't go back hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a relatively new community. And the person who knows all about that is my next guest. He's the historian, of course, and the author of The Making of a Community, The Vale Way. John Horan Cates, how are you, sir? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, when you think of, of how far back Vale doesn't go, it becomes interesting, too. Well, it's only uh, 60 years, maybe, when the, the idea first took shape in uh, Pete Seibert's mind. 57, I think, was the year, and uh, he hiked the mountain and looked over the back and saw the back bowls, and that was the uh, that was the kickoff. He saw he saw the possibilities um, that no one else had in the in the back bowls. And what were those possibilities? Well, skiing was taking off uh, in the 60s. Uh, the, the you know the uh, jet travel had started. Uh, the condominium notion had been had been uh, moved on and uh, Pete saw the possibilities of both intermediate skiing expert skiing but the back bowls was really unique and he saw my future as idiot skiing no. well well you know the the heart of the market is really the intermediate skier but you I always know. want to have a bit of everything for everybody of course so you had accessibility because planes were flying and could get here quickly I mean, you know, one of the arguments is you could actually fly here in the morning and be on the slopes that afternoon. Although I-70 hadn't been really been built yet. Right. Uh, parts of it had been. By by 65 or 6, it, it really got to Vail. And then from the rest of the 60 to the 70s, it got, got all the way to Grand Junction. But it took a while. But Pete saw uh, the possibility of Vail because of the I-70 route that had already been designated. But, of course, way before he came here, we had the soldiers. Well, that's that's really the that beginning. goes back to 1943. That's the beginning. That Camp Hale is 20 miles away. That was the, the 10th Mountain Division. 10th Mountain Division, and they fought in in Italy, um, and uh, but they trained here. They trained here, and they saw the possibilities. They saw the quality of the snow. Many of them were from the east. You know, where where we have snow and as you well. But Pete Cyber, because he was one of them. He was one. He was from New Hampshire, um, and and he saw the difference in the snow, and it really. It's really about the altitude and the fact that the snow is much drier here than in the east. And he saw those possibilities. And you came here when, in the 70s? I came in 70, well, I first came in 68 uh, on the way to Vietnam. 
and I stopped and skied here and saw the possibilities. I'm from Detroit. You know, we had the same kind of hard, icy snow in the east. And when I saw this, I said, wow, this is the real deal. Got over to uh, the Mekong River and, you know, thought about after I, you know, I'm going to get home safe, uh, hopefully. Uh, I said, I want to maybe come back here. Maybe I could be, maybe I could be the marketing guy here. And I wrote it down. I really did. I, and um, Although if you're in the Mekong Delta, you probably want to be the marketing guy anywhere. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, so it took me five years from the time I, I had that thought to get here. And I've been here ever since. Wow. So you've seen all the changes, really. Except for those first 10 years, although I, you know, I stopped off for five days in 68. But it's really um, a wonderful, evolving story over those 50 years. Of course, I remember President Ford, uh, after he became president, Nixon resigned, he put bail on the map in a different way because he was here every chance he got to go skiing. He really was. And he and you're absolutely right. That, that media exposure, I think, was Because when the president invaluable. flew, everybody flew with him. Invaluable. No question. And then he, he contributed over the years after he left the White House in an even bigger way by um, supporting the arts and supporting all of the community's activities. We, we established the Vail Valley Foundation, and he was, he was really the, the driver of that. Is it still, I mean, looking at your economy, of course, it's still ski-driven all the way. It is. I'd say that, that over the last 20 or 30 years, the summer economy has, has really built up. We have now 11 golf courses, you know, uh, all the water sports and mountain biking and hiking and so forth. It's, it's really become a year-round resort. All right, so since you were here almost from day one, What's the change that's bothering you, that concerns you? Well, we have a difficult time having really reasonable housing for, for the working And by people. the way, that's not particular just to Vail. That's almost every ski resort. Well, probably all over the country. Yeah. So, so uh, I think there's been a concerted effort by the municipalities and the governmental entities to try to get enough uh, reasonable, affordable housing for the working staff. Because if we don't have that... You know, we're really in the weeds. And are you getting it? We pretty much are, although there's there's never enough, and it's never as affordable as, you know, young people would like it to be. But uh, I think the response has continued. You look at Down Valley, where most of that development is taking place, although some in Vail, there's a considerable amount of, of uh, apartments, condominiums, uh, affordable housing, tiny homes. And then, of course, which comes which comes with this issue, it's expense. It's it, you know it's because it's land is the driver and there's not that much of it. Because uh, most of it's federal. Well, beyond, BLM beyond the valley floors, it's yeah. almost all federal. It is. Yeah, it is. And a lot of wilderness, and that has has more restrictions than national forest. But uh, it, it, it's part of the draw, though that national forest. Now every year I get emails from. Resorts all over the country saying how they've reinvented the ski pass. Well, I think I think Vail really has. I mean, the Epic Pass has been a game changer in so many ways. In fact, you know, the, as the company uh, that I worked for when I first came here has really evolved, they've seen the possibilities. That's Vail Associates. Started as Vail Associates. Now it's now it's Vail Resorts, and they own I think twenty resorts all over the all over the world, and so. By creating the Epic Pass, which is good at all those resorts, you can buy, I mean, I bought a pass last year for $500 as a veteran that's good at every resort that they own. Uh, 30 or 40 years ago when I bought a, a pass as a, as my, when I left the company, it was $1,500. So the cost has gone down and the accessibility has gone up. $1,500? Yeah. That's what a full pass was. And what, okay, walk me through this. What does a full pass mean? A full pass means it's good any day of the year uh, on, on all their resorts. Now, initially it was Vail and Beaver Creek. Um, and then you had restrictions. So during the holidays, you could buy a pass for $800, but you couldn't ski during the holidays. <laughs> so, but that was okay because we were all busy then anyway. Well, I know, but still, it's sort of like they were giving airlines a bad idea there. Yeah. <laughs> They had blackouts. 
They did, and it was it was understood, and you you knew, you knew going in, you could always buy a day pass if you wanted to ski. Yeah, I could always pay full fare for an airline ticket. And now it's it's uh, it's two hundred bucks to buy a full day individual skiing ticket. So it's it's a heck of a deal to buy the pass. All right, so, and you're still buying them. Oh yeah, and they sold they sold a million passes this year. If you can imagine, a million passes. Well, you know, the, the, it's, it's not all Vail. It's it's all over the country. So of course, you buy it in Detroit, and you ski at whatever the resort there is, or you buy it in Utah, and it's good all over the world. Okay, I love it's it. It's a good deal. Okay, then I got to ask this question: What if you don't ski? Well, you snowshoe, right? You cross country ski, you hike and walk in the winter. Um, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. You're never bored. Well, it's it's a wonderful place to live, I must say. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true. Coming from Detroit, coming here, uh, having all of this recreation available, it's it's tremendous. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. When I think of of Vail. I go back to the days when I was at Newsweek covering a president named Gerald Ford. And uh, I, I remember Air Force One landing and uh, him skiing here. It was, it, it, he actually put Vail on the map, if you really wanted to, I mean, from the, from the national press point of view. But that's back in 1975 and 1976. The name Ford still holds. And in fact, there's something here in Vail called the Betty Ford Alpine Gardens, named after the former First Lady. And joining me now, the executive director of those gardens, Nicola Ripley. How are you? Fine, thank you. Now, you're not from here. Originally, I'm from um, much further east. I'm from uh, the British Isles, but I've been in Vail now for almost 30 years. Which British Isle? Uh, England. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be like Jersey or the Channel Islands. <laughs> what brought you to Vail? Actually, I was um, interested in Arctic and Alpine flora since um, being a climber in, in Britain. And I came over to to originally connection with the Denver Botanica Gardens. But right when Betty Ford Alpine Gardens was being started in about um, 1990, um, I came over to work for the nursery that was growing the alpine plants for the gardens. At the time, the gardens was very small and didn't have a staff. Uh, when you say small, what, how small? I mean, really, the, the, the gardens started in 1988 with no staff and purely with volunteers. And incrementally, over the last 30 years, the garden has grown to now about five acres with an education center and um, I joined the staff about um, 15 years ago, full-time, and then became the director eight years ago. And to be clear, this isn't just about going to a location and looking at pretty flowers. No, this is a true botanical garden. All of the plants are accessioned in the collections and labeled. And plants are grown um, geographically to show the different f alpine floras of different parts of the world. Um, and, they, and they will grow here. Yes, in fact, you know, the, the, a lot of alpine plants are adapted to high elevation, so we'll only grow here. And we have many, many plants in the garden that are not grown anywhere else in the they're world. They're just particular to here? Well, they're particular to this kind of elevation. We certainly, we hold the national collection of Colorado's alpine flora, but many of the plants from the Himalayas and high up in the European Alps will only grow here versus you know, lower elevations because of the cold, the s consistent snow cover that we have in the winter. And uh, let's not forget, we're at 8,000 feet. Right. So we actually grow a lot of plants here because we have that consistent snow that provides a blanket for the flowers. So it's, it's a remarkable garden with, you know, thousands of plants that you wouldn't expect to see at this elevation. Like? Uh, I think one of the most asked after plants is the Edelweiss from Europe, a classic I I, alpine see, plant. I knew that was coming. Okay. <laughs> do, um, you ask, do you actually have to sing the song while you're looking at it? <laughs> Not usually. Okay, but I bet people do. I bet they do. There's one of the definitely one of the most asked after plants. A lot of the classic alpines, the gentians, the alpine forget-me-nots, are um, very much a highlight. And one of the biggest surprises is what? 
I think um, I think a the fact that we have so many plants that grow at this elevation, and that's again due to that snow cover in winter, it provides a blanket, and it's also the vibrancy of the colours. It's like being in a florist's cooler here at eight thousand feet. The nights are get very cool, even in the middle of the summer, and the high ultraviolet light makes the colours pop. You know, we all talk about global warming. How is that affecting the gardens? Well, we don't see a lot of evidence in the gardens themselves, except we see a lot of changing weather patterns. We see snow coming at different times of the year, snow coming you know, later in the spring. Um, but we also see snow starting later in the fall. We see you know, definitely different weather patterns. But there's a lot of research being done in the Alpine that's showing snow um, snow patterns changing and then you know pollinators being out of sync with flowers so we are seeing things in the alpine that are very concerning Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. As it might fit most of the people who are here, they're not from here originally, or they sort of like were taken here. And that's the case with my next guest. Her grandparents moved here back in the 60s, opened up, what, the first ski shop in Vail, and then she showed up as a naturalist. And now she's basically running the whole show as the founder and vice president of sustainability programs at the Walking Mountain Science Center. Kim Langman, how are you? I'm great. Welcome to Vail, Peter. I'm happy to be here. So you first came in as a naturalist, and you know, let's face it, what year was that? Oh boy, that was right after college. That was in the 90s. That far along. Oh my <laughs> God. But I remember Vail in the 90s. I mean, it was a naturalist dream, if you would, because it was still unexplored in certain certain respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up here when there were dirt streets and beaver ponds, and it was a pretty wild place to grow up as a kid, lots of places to explore. Now there are beaver Airbnbs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's the one thing people should know when they come here? Because the, the big problem that I have as a journalist and also as a traveler is that so many people will come to a resort destination and never really leave the resort or understand what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we really love about Vale is that it's sandwiched between two wilderness areas. So it seems like it's a, a little bit of an urban uh, corridor, but there's amazing places to explore. Just right five minutes out the door, you won't see anybody. So it's a, it's a really special place in that way. You actually have to be like either physically challenged to the extreme not to get out there. Yeah, that's right. You got to have some pretty good excuses not to start hiking. All right, so when you first got here, what was the biggest surprise for you that you had to learn? Oh, well, that it's really cold in the wintertime, that you got to wear <laughs> lots of layers. It's a layer look, okay. But but in terms of the, of, of the nature itself and what you could discover. Oh, boy. Well, I just, you know what fascinates me is just all of the intricacies of the natural world. You know, just how beautiful the wildflowers are, all the different colors, the pollinators, and how it's all interconnected. That's what really inspires me and keeps me going as an environmental educator. And of course, for me, not respecting the, the layered look, I'm a big fan of, of this season, summer. Yeah, summer is actually my favorite. I love skiing and snowboarding, but summer's when I really get into it and get outside and go hiking. I love birding and, as I said, all the wildflowers, the wildlife, um, being out on the creek and the rivers. So it's it's a great time to be here. Of course, I'm one of those guys who who will not ski, but I ride a mean lift. So that's, <laughs> You won't ski? Uh, no. You know why I won't ski? Because when I was growing up in New York, everybody in my elementary school classes, at least every you know February... Kids would show up with casts up to their neck. And I'm like going, not good. I'll sled in Central Park. That's as far as I'm going to go. Well, you could try snowboarding. It's easier than skiing. To me, that's still going to end up in orthopedic surgery. I just, this is me. However, I really appreciate Vail. I come all the time. I get up on the mountain. I put on a fake cast and go to the bar and get mercy drinks. What do you mm, think? Good for you. You fit right in. <laughs> 
when people come here, though, where can you take them? I mean, tell me about the walks that you can do. Well, some of the easier walks are right here in town, um, out of the Vale Nature Center over at Ford Park. We've got a great creek walk. Um, we have a, a exploratory five senses trail. Um, there's a walk along the creek. So there's okay, really... How long do these walks take? Oh, probably an hour. All, t- all manageable. Yeah, easy, manageable walks can take starting with an hour, or you can go much longer and take a full day hike. And then they have to come rescue you. Maybe. In my case, yes. One thing is a lot of people don't realize they're in the mountains, and you really need to prepare to be in the mountains. We can have weather come in in the afternoon, so you really need to bring those rain layers and some water and some food. And you see people out there really struggling because they don't know what they're getting into sometimes. Well, even if you're just going to go shopping, get water. Yeah, that's right. You, you're you up here at altitude, and so we say you need to drink two quarts of water each day. Now, I, I suppose that one of your, your goals is to educate people when they come here, mm-hmm. right? What's the first thing they're going to learn that they're not expecting? I would say— Other than hydration. Right, right, right. Well, just how unique mountain environments can be. Because of the elevation, the different plants and animals have different adaptations to live here throughout the seasons, especially in winter. How do they survive under that winter snowpack? What do they need to do? What are the you know different types of uh, fur that they have? Or you know all those different adaptations that are so remarkable in the natural world. And of course, you'd say you're a birder. So to me, anytime I hang out with a birder, I take nothing for granted because you see stuff that other people don't see. Well, that's what I love about spring. All of a sudden, you hear all the different sounds, all the different birds. It's like you're welcoming them home again. So many different species, especially the migratory warblers and the water birds and others that come and nest here and have their um, young each year. Okay, I've got to ask you, your favorite bird? Western tanager. I was going to say that. No, I wasn't. But why? Well, it's so brilliantly beautiful. It's bright yellow with a red head, and it looks like it's an escaped parakeet, but it's a native here, and it shows up every summer. It has a beautiful song. You see, I would describe it as an escaped parakeet. (laughs) (laughs) And probably a couple did. Yeah, probably. And a couple escaped canaries running around, too. Maybe. Difficult to spot? Um, No, it's really bright. You can't miss it. You can't miss it, and it really spends a lot of time up in the aspen trees. And, of course, when we talk about the aspen trees, we talk about the color changes, too. Yeah, it's gorgeous here in the fall. September and October are really a remarkable time to be here. The whole valley turns golden. Except for the escaped parakeets, and then you can't find them. Well, they've gone home by then. Of course they have. They're smart. They don't (laughs) want to blend in. They don't want want to blend. I love it. All right. King Langmate, what's the website for the walking center? www.walkingmountains.org. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest is the publisher of Colorado Expressions Magazine. She grew up in Colorado and returned home to do this. Elizabeth Hamilton, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Okay, so you you couldn't leave home long. It's tough to grow up here and and not return. And what brought you back? Well, my family and the weather and just being able to be in a state that is pretty much sunshine 360 days of the year. Okay, so you you got a lifetime supply of sunscreen? For sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm paying for it now. Hopefully, I'm oh my God. slather that up every day now. Slather it mm-hmm. up. You got it. But here we are in Vail. Vail is a relatively new phenomenon in the state. It's only 50 years, maybe, of, of reality, right? What's changed for you, and, and, and how have you seen the growth? You know, it's so interesting. I um, grew up, I think I was probably less than a year old when my parents brought me up here, and I skied in a snuggly with my mom down Vail Mountain. They had pictures of it, and it's so... Um, there was such a great group of people that started this community up here, and um, I've been able to experience it. I'm not quite 50, getting there, but um, but it's, so it's been really fun to grow up here as a child. Um, it was a really easy trip from Denver to Vail for a weekend. When I-70 was working. When I-70 was pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Besides a few snowstorms here and there. Exactly. But other than the skiing, because it can't just be one-dimensional. That's the neat part about being up here is I think probably my favorite time of year is is summer into fall. It's so beautiful. It's um, There's such a sense of community up here. I think it's, uh, 
it's one of those places where you come and you feel, even if you're from Denver or out of town, it's it's a place that's so welcoming and everyone's smiling. And I think the big part of it is that you can walk around town. Well, you know, you talk about town. I don't look. I look at it as a village. Yeah. It's really a village. And it's, really, exactly and it's right. really modeled after a European village. Absolutely. And it feels that way every single time. And all the changes that have happened over the years still feels like that village that they originally started. Like what changes? Um, well, the heated uh, roads, for one. So there's not a lot of, you know, you don't trip outside a storefront anymore and, and slip on the ice. And so many of the things that the neatest part I was saying to someone the other day is that you really don't need a car. You come here and you ride the public transportation, whether that's to the mountain or to the skating rink or uh, to the bottom of the hill to hike. Um, there's so many great things about not being able to have to jump in a car and sit in traffic. As a destination, obviously ski being numero uno, although the summertime to me is even better. Yep. Do people come here for other reasons, meaning they're coming here to get married, I mean, right? Absolutely. And our, our publication is really a lifestyle uh, luxury magazine here in Colorado that really features a lot of the weddings and the parties that happen up here. And, and summer and fall are really the amazing um, aspects to that. And some of the so many of the party planners and, and event people are up here and they're here to cater to everyone's needs. Well, they're here to cater to the one-upsmanship deal. <laughs> yeah. Let's call it, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to get married in Vail, Colorado. But but not only that, they want to do it better than everybody else. For sure. So how crazy does it get? Well, I think there's seasons for it. I think whether you're having a You like crazy season? (laughs) Or bridezilla season? Yes. No, I think there's so many... Is there there a bridezilla season? I don't know. I hope not. (laughs) Not up here anyway. I think people come up here to really see the fact that, that you can have this beautiful setting backdrop and do minimal to to make it really special because the because of the setting up here is just phenomenal. But I'm talking about the spend because it's not just the lifestyle; it's the expression of that lifestyle. And what's the, what's the name of your magazine? Yeah, Colorado Expression. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. And that, I think that um, whether it's a Denver couple wanting to get married or someone having an anniversary, you know, the Sun and Alp here this is the most beautiful setting you could really. There's so many hotels up here, but this is this is a spectacular one for sure. Um, and and the spend is is to you know I, I money is is an interesting concept when you're thinking about an anniversary party or a wedding or something like that. It's it's priceless. Told like a, a true salesperson. <laughs> sure, we'll sure. we'll buy those other bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So. But I mean, you see people literally saying, "Okay, I want what they did plus plus plus." Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not the wedding expert, but I definitely think that um, there are so many um, places in the world that, that people can choose to get married. And I think up here is really, um, but it, it brings, there's more of a community aspect to it, I guess, is the, is the way. Because your, your group can come and walk the street, you know, walk the village and have an incredible meal and hike with the llamas if you want to later on in the, in the day and come back and have a spa and, and then get ready for the festivities. I always precede the wedding with a llama hike. I, I want you to know that. It's something I've always done. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, you have to you have to experience it all up here. Well, speaking of lifestyle, that's where the one-upsmanship really comes into play in terms of real estate, interior design. Yep. Right? And that's the incredible thing. I, you know, the homes and, and all the... Um, the businesses that cater to a lot of the second homes up here. Um, but it's it's really, uh, there's there's a veil feel to things. Gorsuch does a great job at, at home uh, furnishings and things like that, that you can come up and shop locally. I think that's really important to remember too. The thing that always amazes me, you mentioned second homes, is how many of them are not used all around. I mean, they're, they're just sitting there for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah, some of them do. That's a seasonal thing, too, I think, for, for families that live out of state and in state, whether it's um, – and a lot of my friends that have second homes up here and families, they, they spend a lot of time up here in the summertime. And obviously I'm thinking Airbnb now. Yep. And I don't know what the I, – I, I'm not sure how that works up here, but I, I, I do think that there's a lot of, a lot of room for, for people to fill the homes. What's the biggest challenge? With being in Vail, 
being in bail, I, I, they're not, I don't know if they're challenges. I think, um, you know, we were talking about the traffic back and forth from Denver a little bit. And um, there are so many times a day where you can get around that. And so many, you know, whether As in you two s- o'clock in the morning. <laughs> not quite. Okay. You can have a wonderful dinner up here and get on the road a little bit later in the afternoon or in the evening and, and make it home in a couple hours. It's really, you have to check the traffic like anywhere else. Sure. But, but other than that, I think it's, you know, there's definitely ways to work around it. So, And here at the Sun and Alp, I mean, they just celebrated, what, 40th anniversary? Yes, and we're doing a story on them later in the year, which we're thrilled about. This is just, we've had a great partnership with them for a long time, literally since the magazine started. Um, so we're grateful for that. And still family-owned. Still family-owned, which is really special. I think that's the biggest point, too, up here, is that there's so many businesses that are family-owned. And, and as I touched on a little bit with decorating your home and, and doing that, and it, what's so great about that, too, is if you're visiting, you always want to buy things when you're away, right? So you have a memento or you – but you could, you could pretty much furnish your house up here and decide to ship it back to wherever you're from and, and really make it special. So – so basically, you come here and test drive your house. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I, I do that with hotels, actually. Yeah, me too. Do it right here. No, I actually built my house from 47 hotels. Oh, wow. I did. That is really cool. Uh, it was amazing. Oh, fun. But the mini bar charges were a bitch. <laughs> the, no? Okay, fine. <laughs> but no, it's seriously, I did it because I was spending so much time in hotels. Yeah. I said, you know what? I really like that couch. Where can I get yep. that couch? Yep. Where can I get that sink? Where so can I, we got down to like faucets. I mean, yeah. it was... That is really fun. And it worked. Yeah, I bet it's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, I finally sold the house. Oh. You know why? I wasn't spending enough time there. Well, I travel so yeah, much. You yeah. know, and the mini bar charges. Yeah. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Elizabeth Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. The magazine, of course, Colorado Expressions. Now in your what year? 20? 28. 28 years of the magazine. Amazing. Yep. Thank you so You're much. You going to go shopping now? Absolutely. Of course you are. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we'll be back. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. As many of you regular listeners know, I never avoid the opportunity. In fact, I grab the opportunity every chance I get to always have a fire chief on the show wherever we are because... Let's face it, they've been to everybody's hotel, they've been in everybody's house, they've been in everybody's restaurant, they know where to go, they know where not to go, and they're members of the community. And, I mean, if I ever had enough time, they'd be the best people to give me a a tour as well. Uh, Joining me now, the fire chief at at VFES, otherwise known as Vail Fire and Emergency Services, Fire Chief Mark Novak. How are you, sir? Doing well. Good morning. And, uh, by the way, Vail Fire and Emergency Services has been around 55 years, since 1964. Correct. Uh So a lot of changes. Absolutely. The fire service in general has changed, but of course, Vail has changed uh, dramatically in that time. And so is firefighting. That's correct, yes. Right, your training. Absolutely. Uh, gone very much from kind of protecting for a single hazard, traditional structure fires, to protecting for a wide variety of things, everything from uh, wildland fires to EMS, emergency medical services, high angle rescues, obviously. Swift water. Swift water rescues. The rivers are high right now. They're um, raging right now. Yes, yes. I mean, Good good thing to t- take a look at the river from the banks of the river right now. Correct. And it's even important to remember from a, a distance from the banks because the banks may be unstable or the footing may be uh, unstable as well. Exactly. Now, before here, you were in San Diego? Uh, actually, about 25 years in Lake Tahoe between San Diego and here. Exactly. And if you're in Lake Tahoe, then you probably know my my friend Chief Mike Schwartz. Of course. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, he's, very well. He's been on the show a couple of times. Oh, really? Oh, we, oh, we love him. We love him. Uh-huh. And, uh, he's got a great gig. He does have a great. He gig. does have a great gig. Lake Tahoe. Come on, how bad could it be? I think I might have a little better gig, but but <laughs> okay. Let's let's give Mike a hard time. Why? Well, it's uh it's a great community. It's well resourced. Um, it's got very nice amenities. We obviously, um, you know, as a fire department, we have great people working for us, and we're well supported by our municipality. So, uh, are you saying the restaurants are better? The restaurants, I would <laughs> I would venture to guess, are a little bit better. Yes, I'm talking to a fire chief who likes to eat. That's correct. Okay, tell me where we're going for breakfast. Breakfast. Well, um, actually, I'd venture a little non-traditionally outside the village, and uh, my pick would be the Westside Cafe in Westside in uh, Westvale. Why? Uh, great local atmosphere. Um, good food. My favorite is Huevos Rancheros. And the really interesting thing about it is uh, 
We have a lot of medical tourism here. A lot of people come here to have uh, procedures done with the, at the Vail Valley. Uh, oh, the famous Huevos Rancheros procedure. Wait, yes, exactly. Just yes. double checking. I'm, yeah. But uh, so you also see a good mix of uh, tourists coming in from all over the country on crutches and things. So it's kind of an interesting environment. We went from Huevos Rancheros to crutches. Okay. That, that's right. And lunch? Lunch. Boy, um, boy, it really depends on, on the day. And uh, But I actually... Uh, the bully here in the Southern Alp is very good. Um, great burgers, great salads. Okay, and now uh, the PS2 resistance the dinner here in Vail. Dinner in Vail. Well, I think, you know, kind of the uh, the classic. It depends on really what you're looking for, but if you're looking for, uh, you know, something a little more European, then I would probably uh, venture towards Pepe's, um, one of the original restaurants in town. And um, if you're looking for something a little more modern, then it would be Sweet Basil which is uh, right down the creek as well. I've had, I've had dinner there, yes. yes. And, of course, if you want pizza, you got to go see the mayor. That's correct. <laughs> I'm just double-checking. I mean, you know, you got to know somebody. Yes, I, yeah, and I guess I, I wouldn't recommend anything else other than uh, Vendetta's. <laughs> That's the name of it? That's correct. Oh, my God, okay. We're going to talk. I, I should know better. Okay, now. He signs my checks, so, you know. I... So you're, you're eating pizza all the time. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. But let's get back to a more serious subject because – in the last maybe just 10 years, the wildfire situation around the United States, not just Colorado, has, has really exploded. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're really seeing, um, you know, kind of what we're referring to as a new normal. And uh, our wildfire season has become much longer. On average, it's about 74 days longer per year. And then um, most notably, of course, is the impacts of those wildfires. We're seeing whole communities destroyed. We're seeing widespread loss of life. It's, um, you know, just it's, it's on a scale that was really unimaginable when I started my career in the 80s. And as you may know, I'm also a firefighter in New York, and and it's unimaginable to us to imagine. I mean, it really is unimaginable to even conceive of a fire moving at two and a half to three miles an hour. But it does. It is, yeah. Most people can't conceive that, even when I talk with members of our community, talk about a fire starting somewhere very distant in the morning and being in our community in the evening. And until you've seen it, you just can't comprehend it. And how do you get ahead of it? Well, you know, in, in some of those events, um, particularly a lot of the ones that grow really rapidly and have those rates of spread, it's really about the weather and about the wind. And you really, you can't do much until the weather changes. Um, until the weather changes, you're rescuing people, you're um, getting people evacuated ahead of time, but it's really um, just kind of that um, life, life first, life safety first, and we'll take care of the fire when the opportunity presents itself. You talked about medical calls earlier. One third of our calls are EMT calls. Mm -hmm. Here, people need to know about hydration. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we're at a fairly high elevation. We're about 8,000 feet, and, you know, the air is dry here. And um, so you definitely need to be hydrated. That can help stave off a lot of the effects of the altitude. Um, and it can actually prevent some of the symptoms of altitude sickness as well. And you see that with a lot of newcomers all the time. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, typically... So you guys should actually have a stand at the Eagle County line of people just <laughs> handing out water. Water, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hydration's super important. And how much water are you drinking every day? Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, probably two 32-ounce bottles. That's enough. That's a lot. Yeah. All right, so... And you work it off, too. Yes, absolutely. Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Madawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tokyo. On second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, it's bare, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Dale really started with the uh, the 10th Mountain Division soldiers back in the in the early 40s as they trained here to go fight World War II in, in the in the mountains of Europe. And one of those soldiers is with us today. He's uh, a, one of the last remaining 10th Mountain Division soldiers, 96-and-a-half-year-old Sandy Treat. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for coming by. You're welcome. When you were here back in the, in the early 40s, what were the mountains like? Well, there was no way on them. <clears throat> we were at Camp Hale. <clears throat> they just finished building Camp Hale, and so we arrived uh, over a period of about a year. People were coming in until I got the full complement of, of uh, 15,000 men. And, so, then, and then you went off to war. Oh, then we trained here. Right, and then you went off to war. And then we went to Italy. 
And then the most important thing, of course, is as it involves veil, is you came back. Yes, I came back. It was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. But when you came back, you more than anybody else that I've met saw all the changes that happened here. Well, <clears throat> they're tremendous. Just think when I arrived here uh, in the, on the train from New York City with three other people, we'd been there. Well, well what better part of a, of a week and then took the so a, bu- a, bu- a bus up here. There was no one here. And we went in through the gates, no one there. <laughs> and then some guy came by, he says, oh yeah, go down the stairs here. And I said, well, what do you got going on down there? Oh, he says, you'll see. So I go down there and there's a couple of uh, uh, ski troopers, members of the Tinsman Division, older than I was. I was a sophomore at Dartmouth College, so I was about 18, and uh, that was the start of what happened. Amazing. But you've seen all the changes over the years here. Oh, yes. And you continue to ski. No, I don't. Not now, but you did. Oh, I did until uh, a year ago. You skied until a year ago? I raced until a year ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me guess. Would you, would you be number one in your class? Uh, yes. Often <laughs> I was number one. But, uh, Amazing. My, my uncle, until he was about 86 years old, was the number one in his class as a triathlete. <laughs> he, he competed against nobody. Yeah. Well, I didn't have enough... Uh, time to have any uh, compete myself. Exactly. But then finally, they got going and they made it fairly interesting, and it was an oddity for everyone and and something new. And I was racing uh, for a local uh, Vale uh, ski racing team, and every weekend we would go out to race. Amazing. amazing. Absolutely amazing. And now you lecture at the museum. I do. And what do you talk about? I talk about the Tenth Fund Division. And I talk about what it was like to uh, be a ski troop, trooper. Because that's a different kind of skiing, isn't it? Very so much so. As a matter of fact, when we went to Italy, we didn't even have skis. Italy is warm. <laughs> And so for all that training on snow, it was uh, not very useful. So basically you went from cross-country skiing to cross-country walking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you came back. We all, well, a lot of, of the uh, uh, total 10th Mountain Division, a good number of boys were lost. Yeah. But you were, I, I'm still trying to get over the idea that you were skiing until a year and a half ago. Unbelievable. Well, I started at four. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good start. Right. And I loved it. And my father had been a skier at Dartmouth. Uh, when they knew it so little, they called it snowshoeing. <laughs> well, that's changed. The equipment's changed. The skis have changed. The speeds have changed. That's tremendously amazing. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. My mother, God rest her soul. You've heard me say this before. I'm not a skier. I drive a, a mean snowmobile, or I can actually survive the the lift. I uh, every time I look at a ski a ski run, I think orthopedic surgery. And my next guest lives orthopedic surgery, <laughs> so to speak. He's currently the chief scientific officer and director of the Center for Regenerative Sports Medicine. Get this three times fast at the Stedman Philippon Research Institute in Vail, otherwise known as SPRI. His name is Dr. John Uard. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. So, necessity being the mother of invention, 
you're not only just helping people who get hurt out here, you're coming up with new techniques. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me today. Sure. And uh, yeah, I think the Sedman Philippon Research Institute was, you know, an institute that treat only an you know, orthopedic surgery, sports medicine injuries. But since I came in 2015, along with Dr. Mark Philippon, we set up this new program that we call LT Aging, where we're trying to delay aging-related disease and condition. And after all, all the surgery we're doing in those patients are orthopedic-related surgery that often happen after aging. And as you can tell by his accent, he ain't from here. You're a Quebecois? Yeah, I am Quebecois, you know, from Quebec City. And um, I've been in Pittsburgh for 20 years, and, and I moved here in 2015. So a relatively new experience for you. Yeah, it's a new experience for me. And it reminds me of Quebec City a lot here because we have four seasons, and I love the uh, snowmobile and skiing and so forth. So for me, it's like coming back home. Are you a skier? I am a skier. I'm not a good skier, though, but I think I like to go fast. So, so, you're, so, you're, so you're not a smart skier. Absolutely. I'm not a smart <laughs> skier at all. But the, the definition of sports medicine has been really expanded, hasn't it? Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, sports medicine, like I said, you know, before we're treating you know, only ACL injuries when you injured your knee or hip and shoulder. But now, you know, we're going beyond because we think that, you know, by working on the LT aging, then we can delay those disease or aging-related disease. So you're going from treatment to prevention. Yeah, exactly. And just keep up, you know, we're doing a lot of things right now that can extend the lifespan of, you know, an, an athlete, for example. If you're an athlete and you pick your, you know, your career around 35, 36, can we keep this longer by doing, you know, something to try to, to make you age healthier and better? Well, it's about management. It's about management, yes. So take a guy like me, hopeless, right? <laughs> What would you recommend? Well, I think you know, it's, it's four pillars. The first one is, you know, what I tell all my patients is nutrition. What you eat is very important. As I important. said, hopeless. Yeah. hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> nutrition is very important, and if you don't do it, you know, you, it's very important for your health. The second one is exercise. If you do exercise, then, you know, we found that all those stem cells that you have been hearing about, you know, from fat stem cells, bone marrow stem cells, they all come from blood vessels. Therefore, exercise increase the number of blood vessels in your tissues, and of course, you have more stem cell when you exercise. What kind of exercise? Though? Well, aerobic exercise is really the one that I I think is very important for you, especially in high altitude. Here, you know, we have a, a very thin hair, and this is very good for you. And you know, any type of aerobic exercise is very good. But the third pillar is really you know uh, stem cells because now we found that you know if you take young stem cells and you inject this to a whole mice you make them live you know twice as long so now we you know we think that if you bank your stem cells today that in 2 3 years from now they're going to be 2 or 3 years younger than you and those cells can be used on the road for you to accelerate the healing process after injuries so where were you 25 years ago <laughs> well, I think, you know, again, this is a, and I have something to tell you that when my wife got our last, you know, kid, you know, uh, child is now 19. And when they asked me to cut the umbilical cord, you know, I asked the nurse, I said, you know, can I keep it? Can I freeze this, you know, you know, because this is your best stem cell for the kids, right? And she told me, she, you're not allowed to do this because 25 years ago, you were not allowed to do this. And this is when my wife said, can you, can you really, you know, put your science aside and be with me, you know, for a minute here because I'm trying to go to my delivery here. So that's a very good, you know, point here. Obviously, you resolved that issue and you're still married and the kid's 19. So. Exactly. You know, we're still married. And the last thing I want to say is now we find medication that prevent your stem cell to get old in a way. And some of those medications already approved as off-label medication that, you know, are used, you know, for diabetes or are used for, you know, immune rejection, for example. But the same medication now is being used to delay aging or delay aging-related disease. The people who come to your, to your clinic, the people that you're operating on, has the age changed, the, the median age? Well, I think now it's, you know, yes. I think a lot of people that we see are mainly, you know, athletes that get injured and they want to get back to their game as fast as possible. But now we have a, by opening this LT aging program, now we have a lot of people that come to us. They don't have an injury per se but they just want to prevent that injury to a cure. It's basically quality of life issues. It's quality of life issues, absolutely. 
You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.